we go ahead and start with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Francis Xavier, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everybody, back to the second night of our mission. Or also welcome those who are here for the very first. All right. Does that work better? All right. All right. Now you can hear me. So we want to welcome everybody back, uh, or those who are here for the first time, uh, to, the, to our second night of our mission. And so I repaired the technical difficulties, which were not technically my fault. They were the computer's fault. But I wanted to be able to show you at least a couple of the slides you couldn't see. There is Jenny Reese, and look at, there's Sister Virgin Mother, who is now a religious sister, so happy and joyful. Um, we already saw a quote from Father Jacques. Um, there's the baptism. There's another quote. There's Krista, the young woman who spent $10,000. But I loved her and was merciful. Uh, and so now we're going to move to the second topic. Again, we're looking at signs of hope amongst today's young Catholics. Insights that I derived over my more than 10 years working with college students over in Lafayette. And so the three nights of the mission, the three topics, are going to be what I have come to understand or believe that all people, but here specifically college students, really desire, young adults desire. Last night we looked at to be seen, and as a result through that, to be known and to be loved. Tonight we're going to look at the second one, to belong. And then finally, tomorrow, we're going to look at what it means to be chosen. And so we're going to spend a lot of time today looking at this sense of belonging that we all need to have. And in particular, young people who crave relationship, who crave that sense of belonging, need for their own growth, not only as humans, but also as Christians, and as Catholics. So there, there's this famous statistic that if you do any kind of Catholic campus ministry, you're going to hear that supposedly 80% of high school students who are Catholic in high school, by the time they leave college, no longer practice their faith. They're either atheist, agnostic, they're not Catholic, or they join some other denomination. And so I would get this question a lot. Father, what can we do to help our children maintain their faith through college? They seem to despair. The kids are going to, after all the money they put into Catholic education, throw it away in the course of four or five years. And during my time working at UL, it didn't take me long to figure out what was the decisive thing, without a doubt, it's the most important for a young person to maintain their faith through college. This is a non-negotiable. And from my experience, it is relationship. 
to be in healthy, life-giving relationships. Because we as humans, and particularly as Catholics, cannot do it alone. It's impossible. If you try to go out there and say, I'm just going to believe and get through college by myself, and I'm going to just go to Mass, it's going to last you a couple of weeks. You're going to have to have solid relationships, good friends, potentially a mentor or a spiritual director, and integrated into a broader community of believers. Without that, you can toss your faith aside. And I saw that until a young person was serious about maintaining good relationships and sometimes letting go of bad ones, there was always going to be a struggle with really taking ownership of their faith and living it out. But for those who did have solid relationships and a real community, a sense of belonging, their faith grew. Then actually now that I've been able to see it for so many years, once a lot of the students have left college, their faith continues to strive. And so the foundation, yes, it is something we're created for relationship, but even more than that, we have a need to belong. And this is what myself as a Catholic priest and our ministers in Catholic community were able to achieve to be able to respond to that need to belong. You need to be seen, but it's not just enough to be seen. You have to be in relationship. You have to be part of a community. It's there that love is experienced. We can't just know in our minds that God loves us. We've got to be able to experience it through others. Just as last night we talked about how God the Father uses our eyes to mediate his sight, his vision, so that we can live in his sight and grow into our identity. So fundamentally, as humans, we are created for relationship. Because we're created in the image and likeness of God, and and God is a trinity of persons. Three persons are defined by their relations. And so as a result, we are not meant to be closed in on ourselves. Like the old song said, no man is an island. And I have this wonderful quote from Cardinal Ratzinger, of course, who became Pope Benedict. And he talks a lot about this in his writing. He says, it needs to be stressed that no man is closed in on himself. That no one is capable of living entirely of himself or for himself alone. We receive our lives each day from without, from others who are not ourselves, yet relate to us in some way. Man's self is not contained only within himself, but exists among almost even more so outside of himself. So we exist in relation to others, but as Ratzinger will say, not just in relation, but in dialogue where we speak and we listen, that there's an exchange, a conversation. That primary relationship and conversation has to be going on with God. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But we also have to be in conversation, in dialogue with other people. And the word that we speak is ultimately a word of love. So we go back to this theme that we were created for relationship, 
we were created to love. The twofold commandment. Love God and love neighbor. And that love is exhibited through the gift of self. Vatican II says that man and woman only find themselves through that sincere gift of self. But I think it's not just giving, but receiving the other in love and in compassion. And from that gift of self and love, in relationship comes what we call the communion of persons, where we exist in communion, in love with others. Most fundamentally, we can say that we live in communion with all other human beings because of our shared human nature. But our experience first starts with the family. We talked about that last night. Our real first experience of being affirmed, of hearing and knowing that it's good that you exist. But it also develops into friendships that we make within the family and without. And then as time goes on into relationships in a broader community, in our society, and then in our church. It's these relationships and love that define us. We're son, we're daughter, we're husband, we're wife, we're friend, we're co-worker, we're citizen, we're Catholic. And so it is when we are in relationship, when we are love, and when we give love and receive love and live in that community of persons, that's where we have the sense of belonging. We belong to something greater than just ourselves. It's what we're created for. And I think most of you will probably know this. As a society, as a culture, and I'm going to also say as a church, we're going through a crisis of relationship, a crisis of friendship. There's a lot driving it, and I'm not going to get here to just talk about all the negative stuff, but we know it's the technology, our artificial communication, the pace of life. We don't have time for each other. I talked about it last week at our mission. Everything that I did at St. Stephen's, everything is very liquid. We rarely relate to each other face-to-face like we used to. As a result, we sort of feel disconnected, as wirelessly connected as we might be. And so it leads to a real serious feeling of loneliness, isolation, alienation, which leads us to be out of relationship and thus feeling unloved and unlovable. A struggle sometimes to make friends. You may be reading about this in the news or have been. Particularly for men as they get older, it becomes really difficult for them to make solid friendships. And we feel like we don't belong. Of course, all of us have felt like that at certain times, but it's really intense for young people. For whatever reason, this generation, needs relationship more than others have and so often a lot of them come from broken or dysfunctional families they didn't get the affirmation they needed they didn't feel like they belong the now in college and high school as a result of social media and all of these virtual and artificial connections it's causing a real mental health crisis significant increase of depression anxiety, and all of these things that lead to an interior discord. Now, this could be a whole separate topic, but my experience in sort of my own reading makes me think 
that a lot of this is part of the identity crisis that we see so many young people going through today. So we see these young people at home, they feel like they're not seen, like they don't belong, and as a result, they don't know who they are. And as I said, we come to define ourselves, we come to find our identity by being seen, by being loved, by belonging. And as a result, it's so easy now to go online to find groups who will accept you. And if they tell you, hey, you're not really a boy, you're really a girl, or whatever kind of ideology is out there, it's easy to get sucked in. Fundamentally, why? Because they're looking for a place to belong. And it's these types of groups who give them that sense of belonging, and therefore that identity. And so the question is, what are we doing as a church to help people feel like they belong? We can sit and criticize all we want, and there are legitimate criticisms, but we've got to step back and say, what are we doing to help young people feel like they belong? And so I really do believe that today, probably more than most things, if not all things, it's going to be solid Catholic campus ministry, universities throughout the nation that give that real sense of belonging, of being loved, of genuine relationship, and therefore genuine identity as a Catholic. And so you can go and you can study ministry all you want, ministry to high school students, ministry to college students, ministry to adults. The most important word that you are going to hear that for successful ministry, it has to be relational, relational. Now we can make a great sort of anthropological or theological argument. It's rooted in who we are created to be. But practical experience, at least for me, shows this. If you can preach all you want, you can talk all you want, but young people are not going to listen to you unless they know you, unless you have a relationship with them. That's why generally I don't like to speak to large groups of young people who I don't know and they don't know me. I got no cred. Why should they believe me? You've got to establish trust. And this takes time, not just a homily every Sunday. It takes getting down and getting to know them and letting them get to know you. It takes dialogue. And I sort of alluded to it if you were at Mass this weekend, the ones that I preached. It's Jesus with a Samaritan woman. First of all, he saw her because it was noon and the sun was there. She couldn't hide, but he sat and spent time talking to her dialoguing with her, getting to know her heart. Not just him speaking, but more importantly, him listening. We need to have that real gift of listening. As much as I like to talk, most of my time was spent listening to young people talk, sharing their problems, sharing their hopes, sharing their dreams and desires. They want to be seen and they want to be heard. What are we doing to really not just listen, but empathically listen? I can tell you, within two or three minutes, a young person can tell if you are listening to them or not. 
Wives can also tell if their husbands are listening to them or not. It doesn't take that long, but separate story, separate crowd. But I just said, they're listening. You've got to share back, and you have to sort of share a little bit of your heart. There are always going to be boundaries, of course, but there needs to be some vulnerability. It's got to be a little bit of a two-way street. They've got to get to know you. And from that, there's an intentionality that this person, this friend, this minister, whoever it is, wants to get to know me. The sense of pursuit, even. They're interested. We all like people to be interested in us, to want to get to know us. And so often you've got to be persistent, although the truth is everyone's favorite topic is to talk about themselves. So most of the time I would just simply ask questions. Tell me about yourself. What are your likes? What are your dislikes? Let me get to know you a little bit better. Not just one time, but consistently. Not just deep, heartfelt conversations. Sometimes the most important and the most productive time that older people can do in spending with young people is just wasting time. Just hanging out. We're going to sit around and we're going to watch the sports game. We're going to go to the park and play games. I used to do it every Thursday, watching movies. I know a group of students for over 10 years, every Thursday, we'd watch a movie. Now, granted, I chose the movie. I have better taste than they do. Tailgating. We do this all the time. And then going to the football games. Just hanging out. Now, of course, if you're under 21, you're not having a beer. But we visit. Getting to know people outside of the church. We're sitting around and having a cup of coffee at Wisdom or some other some other's place. Is that taking delight in your kids. Learning to play together. Learning to be together. So I've been a kick on this for the past year. I say, well, I might as well be a kick on it too. Probably the best example of this. If y'all want to see it, I know your grandkids all know this. It's the best TV show on television right now. It's a cartoon about dogs. Bluey. How many of you have seen this? Look at that. We've got some people, grandkids. It's the best show on TV. It's a, it's a family of dogs where the parents spend time with their kids. Everyone, every episode is them playing with their kids. Now, granted, some parents say, well, does dad ever work? Well, he works from home. He's an archaeologist. He digs up bones. But it's playfulness. Spend time with your kids. Just hang out. And you can tell from the show. Bingo and Bluey, the little, the little healers, the little red healer and the blue healer, love their mom and dad. Why? Because they delight in their children. The fact that you want to spend time with a young person means more than anything you're going to say. But it can't just be utilitarian. I'm spending time with you because I want you to come to church. I'm spending time with you because I want you to know Jesus. Yes, ultimately I do, but I actually just want to get to know you. And eventually, your heart is going to change and you're going to let the Lord know you. You're going to come to know your identity as a beloved son or daughter. And so this leads, this relationship, this hanging out to the development of hopefully a real, genuine friendship. It's a word that we really need to work on and and we've talked a lot about within the history of the church. What does friendship look like for Christians? I think very easily we look to Jesus as that great exemplar of friends. 
He tells his apostles, No longer do I call you servants, but I've called you friends. He spent a lot of time with his apostles. Now think of it, here's perfect, he's spinning it with these 12 idiots. We're making mistakes, acting like fools. I am sure Jesus rolled his eyes at Peter and the other guys a number of times, but he never gave up on them. He persisted. He called him higher. John 17, right after Jesus says to the Father, these men are your gift to me. To realize that the people that we have in our lives are gifts from God. And we should be grateful for that. Every day, thanking the Lord for the people he's put in our lives to love and those who in turn love us. And he was particularly close to some of them. Peter, James, and John, they were the three super bros. He had a preference for them. And the reality is we're going to have a preference for certain people. It's totally normal. That's the way it is supposed to be. There are going to be some people you just click with. Now, there are going to be also sometimes people you click with who maybe you shouldn't click with. And that's the thing, which I saw a lot of times in working with college students. As I said, if you have the right friends, the right peer group, the right community, believe me, your faith is going to grow. But if you don't, then you're going to struggle. And see it all the time in confession. People would come and they'd bug me for all the private sin. It's been three weeks of my confession. I got drunk four times. I went out and partying. I did whatever. And my all question is always the same. Were you doing that alone? I say, no. I said, I know you weren't. Young people do not drink alone. Adults do. Which, is, of course, is a problem. It's true. That's 100% true. If you got a college student drinking along, you better call AA right away. Right? If you get adults drinking along, you probably need to call AA. But anyhow, that's a different story. It's the reality. They drink together. And so I said, let me, bet, let me guess this. The people that you are out drinking with, they don't go to church every Sunday. No, Father, they don't. They don't pray the rosary. No, they don't. They come from bad backgrounds. Yes, they do. Listen, if you're serious about your faith, you're going to have to leave them. Well, I don't want to judge them. You're not judging them. You're not. You're saying, go do what you need to do. But my soul, my happiness, my faith is more important. It's really, really difficult to do. But until you can do it, it's hard to move forward. Now, I had to do it too. One day, maybe I'll show you all tomorrow the picture. I used to have hair down to here and earrings, and I partied all the time. I was at the board every night in college. I, didn't, I was a poetry major, so I could do the least amount of work possible and the most amount of drinking possible. But I realized that once I converted, I had to get a new group of friends, and it was hard. But it was only then, when I started hanging around other people who shared the same values, one of my old friends to come around. Some of them did, some of them didn't. But that's when the change happened. But what I also see is in these wrong friendships, you can say, well, I'm not partying anymore, but I'm hanging around a bunch of insecure people. Particularly girls who hang around insecure girls. Insecurity breeds insecurity. There's going to be gossiping, jealousy, envy. And I always say, why do y'all girls gossip? I don't know, Father. 
because we don't have anything better to say. No, you want to bring others down so you can build yourself up. People who are confident in their identity don't gossip. They just don't. And they don't want to hang around people who do. Because you're going to start hanging around those people and their insecurity is going to be like a whirlpool that sucks you down. Confidence breeds confidence. And so I see that. It's really, really bad in high school. We have some high school teachers here who maybe teach some all-girl high schools. They can shake their head and say, yes, it's really bad. It's, it's bad in college, too, but I can see it. Once the young woman or the young man, dudes, they don't gossip. I don't, they don't know about much of anything these days, but, you know, they don't want video games or whatever. Once you step out of it, all of a sudden, I've got this great group of friends who want to talk about other things but each other. Wow, life changes. Now, granted, even in Catholic communities, you're going to have problems with cliques. That's how it works. We have preference. You can have your own solid group of friends. The difference between a clique and a group of friends is the clique is turned in on itself. A group of friends that's genuine is turned out. Everybody's welcome. Come on, hang out. Once again, guys are generally better than this than women. That's how it is. Guys are like, oh, dude, I never met you before. Come be my best friend. Let's have a drink. Women, not so much. Granted, it's understandable. There are differences. And believe me, doing campus ministry for as long as I did, I know there are differences. But the challenge isn't just to avoid friendships that are not healthy. And look, also, too, I tell them, your name is not Jesus Christ. So you're not going to save your friends. Quit trying. Pray for them. But you can't force. You also cannot save your family. That is not going to happen either. Pray for them. The prophet is not listened to in his own homeland. So it's a need to start trying to foster virtuous friendships. Let's go to mass together. Let's go have ice cream together. Genuine vulnerability and talking about the spiritual life and what they're going through. Offering encouragement and being there during difficult times to support your friends. If you are not able to do that, we got a problem of really learning how to be a genuine friend. I've seen it. Of people, it takes a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of struggle. You know that with friendship. But these bonds begin that I've seen last for years after college. Why? Because it's built on the solid foundation of virtue, the solid foundation of belief in Jesus Christ. And so our goal is to foster relationship. Our goal is to teach people how to be true friends and the joy that comes from that. People think, well, those kids at the Catholic Student Center are just sitting around praying the rosary all day. No, they're having a great time. I had a fantastic time hanging out with the students. We all, look, they got much more energy than I do, but still there's always some excitement, something to do, and always together as a group. So where do we find the students? That was one of the things, like, Father, how did you get kids involved in ministry? I want my kids to get involved. And sometimes I'd have parents who call me and say, Father, can you, can you find someone to get my, my daughter or son on campus and invite them? I'll try, but they've got to want it themselves. And that's what was interesting. Most of the people who came to UL or any Catholic campus ministry choose to be there. No one's forcing them. No one's forcing them to be there. Many in the UL would come from local schools and wanted to be part of the community they knew we had there. Some would just wander in. 
One of the best things that I did was I put a coffee shop in the student center, uh, at least out of section. And I got the best coffee in town. It sort of blew up after that. Also was great. I was going to collect rent, which was also good to be able. But it it brought people in who would never come in. And so you could say, hey, welcome. Come on in. We Catholics aren't total weirdos. Come have a cup of coffee because they could sit there and study. We were next door to the nursing school, and nurses would always come there to have coffee. But we'd also go out. Evangelization on campus, looking for the lost sheep. A lot of times putting a table there to hand out free things, to encourage people to come by. I used to do for the first six or seven years that I was there, eight years, something called ask a priest a question. I'll talk to anybody. So I'll just put a little table there and said, ask a priest a question. People would come and ask me all kinds of questions. And I'd do my best to answer them. Sometimes they thought I was crazy. But sometimes you caught a big fish. In fact, I talked to one of them today. I remember this so distinctly in 2012. This young woman from Guatemala came up. She didn't even know there was a Catholic student center on campus. She came, and all of a sudden, she became best friends with everyone there. Had this massive conversion. Ended up getting super involved, getting her MBA, getting engaged, married. I went down to Guatemala to do her wedding. Now her friends still have that same prayer group and they gather every week. Unbelievable. Just because I chose to sit there on campus. And then going out and connecting to affinity groups. The engineering Bible study, the, 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 the soccer Bible study connecting to people on campus. Then also often looking at the peripheries, even at the student center, the person sitting by themselves, the person at a retreat who doesn't really know anybody, trying to pay attention, invite them, make them feel welcoming. And as a result, also creating on-ramps. You gotta give them something to do. Hey, come join our Bible study. We've got all kinds of events at the student center. Granted, we'd have these big parties and dinners and, oh, I'm an introvert, so I don't like it. But I'd go there and get some FT, I'd get some FaceTime. I'd do more than that. Trying to sit and visit, feeding them, of course, gathering at people's homes, quiet parties, game nights. One of the big things that we'd do, we'd do retreats. To be able to get them away from everything, to focus on prayer and faith. One of the big ones we would do is the very, very beginning of the semester, the encounter retreat. And I called it the encounter retreat because you can encounter Jesus and you can encounter each other. We did a retreat even before that, that the beginning called Connect, to connect you to each other, to connect you to campus. And this is pretty much average of what we get. We get a lot of kids come to these retreats. When I was in college, would I give up a retreat to go? Well, no, but then, this is why boys are stupid. In college. Okay, what do you notice in this picture? <laughs> Lots of beautiful girls. Uh, Catholic campus ministry, campus ministry. Girls outnumber guys six to one, seven to one. If I had those kind of odds in college, dude, I'd have been the holiest person you ever met. And the odds are even better at the Greek retreats. And we would do Greek retreats. When, when you know, Wisdom always had a great ministry, but sometimes it could be just sort of Catholic nerd fest. And we would try to go out on campus and get the fraternities and sororities to join. And I was never a fraternity or sorority, but they said, we don't want to go over there. 
That one's cool. Well, then why don't you come bring your cool self and make us cool? And so some of them took the initiative, but we started, I think, for Catholic, at least within the Catholic circles, the first Greek retreat. We've been doing it now for, I think, about 10 years. We get all these fraternities and sororities who are leaders naturally and then who come to just bring the faith. And so, look, this is a picture from the Greek retreat. Granted, I have my favorites. I'm going to say it in public. So I was friends with all of them, but I love the KDs. I know everyone else would get mad at me. But these young women, their faith is so strong. Um, and it's just beautiful to see. I just did her wedding. Um, I did her wedding. Or her brother did her wedding. I attended it. Her brother's a priest. So look at that. It's wonderful. Where are the boys? Come on. But one of the big events that I love the most that really brought people together was every Good Friday, the students would do the Living Stations of the Cross. So I got there in 2010, right at the beginning of social media. So we started advertising it. And the kids would put on this great production where we go from the university all the way to the park until there was a crucifixion. We'd bring the body of Jesus back, and one of the students would play Jesus. We'd choose him, and then another student that Jesus would then choose who Mary would be. And then we'd all have the, um, the, the, the Good Friday service. And it ended up being, we would get over a thousand people from all over the state would show up. And so here's, uh, you can see this crowd would just extend all the way back. And it was powerful, but it was community. You felt like you belonged. You were part of something bigger. And as a result, hey, everybody can join. We, we would get all kinds of new kids. Hey, come, come be in this, this production. Come do this. Come make costumes to get people involved. But the truth is, it's got to be more than just hanging out. It's got to be more than just eating pizza. We are there, Catholic Campus Ministry was there, I was there not just to be your friend, but I was there to bring you to Jesus. I was there to try to teach you the love of God. And so we were interested in formation. If you were going to be involved, you were going to be formed. As a Christian, as a Catholic, as a disciple, we were forming missionaries, intentional disciples, young people who would take ownership of their faith and the seeds would be planted and the virtues would be built and the grace would be there that when they left, they would go have an impact in their own communities and their own parishes. And just like in seminary, you had your, your four pillars. We had four pillars. Everything we did was about intellectual formation, spiritual formation, pastoral and communal formation. But most of it, though, the real intense work was done one-on-one. And I often, towards the end of my time there, did mostly spiritual direction with students. Mostly six to seven hours a day of continuous spiritual direction. Which is like mentorship. Because again, it wasn't just, I saw you once a month, I saw you every day. We may have had it scheduled, meeting once every two weeks to one month. But oh my goodness, guess what? In college, there's going to be some drama. We've got to talk to Father. And I was there, available. So was my vicar. With a very intentional formation of disciples. Are you serious about following Christ? What does it mean to be his disciple? Are you living a life of the sacraments? 
Are you praying and pursuing holiness? And the truth was, as big as the ministry got, there's no way I could do it alone. So I was very blessed to be the first campus in Louisiana to bring in FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. For those who don't know what FOCUS is, it's a nationwide organization started in 1998, where they would take recent college grads, form them to go out as missionary on co- missionaries on college campuses, to start Bible studies, to develop friendships, and to form and make disciples. In fact, we're excited we have a FOCUS missionary here in the back. Why doesn't Brooke stand up? Look at that. Brooke, graduate, she's actually from Delaware. From Delaware, she graduated from Vanderbilt in Nashville, and is now first-year missionary over at Tulane. So if you really want to hear more about Focus, you can go talk to Brooke. But we've had these college students who for years would come, and basically super cheap labor. It's really not expensive, and you get a full-time missionary. And you have your team leader, Sarah, and all these others who are just going out there making friends relationships and we had big conferences once a year the big C conference so many students were discipled and received their formation and friendships that and relationships that continue to last after college because we were forming leaders disciples people who were going to take ownership of their faith not just going through the motions and that's the reality so often as we get older, it's easy just to check off the boxes, go on through the motions with the faith. Where's the heart? Where's the ownership? And so to see this generation of young people. And again, earlier this year when Focus had their big C conference, there were 17,000 Catholic students from around the nation there on fire. This is what's happening. It may be a small drop in the bucket, but the hope is it's going to have a ripple effect. But here's the real point. We can talk about all this as belonging, belonging to focus, belonging to a Catholic campus ministry, having a Bible study, having friends. But this desire to belong is something that runs much deeper. And it's a desire to belong to a family. A desire to belong to a family. I said, so often young people today come from broken families. They don't really know what it's like to have a home. And so I really made it intentional. My mission was at the student center to create a home away from home. So what is a home? It's a place where people feel welcome. You feel safe. Affirmed in your identity as sons and daughters, where they're formed and disciplined as sons and daughters. Those who struggle are loved and accompanied, but it's ultimately a place where you belong, where you should fit in and come to know love. And it was really my experience at Wisdom that taught me the power of this, like I alluded to yesterday. Most times in parishes, parishioners come once a week. Y'all are the weirdos. Y'all are coming two or three times a week. It's good. And most of the time, the, 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 the whole parish experience is judged on what? Father's homily, and it better be under 10 minutes. That's the judgment. That's the judgment call. 
the parish is not a home. But at Wisdom, it was. We opened at 7 a.m. There were students there. I kicked them out at 10 p.m. I lived with them every day. I couldn't walk out of my house. I literally lived on the, at the student center in the church without 50 people wanting to talk to me. It got aggravating after a while, but it was beautiful because I was there. I ate with them. I traveled with them. I hung out with them. They saw me in my good days and on my bad days. A lot of it focused around food, liturgy, meals. But mostly it was a place to be. You could hang out. You couldn't sleep on the couches because I get really mad. I don't want you leaving your garbage everywhere. This is how much they thought it was a home. They would just leave their trash everywhere in the student center. So I finally had enough of it. I started taking it all and then confiscating it. And you needed to pay me a dollar to get it back. So I made a fair amount of money. But all of a sudden, whoop, it, it stopped. But I also got some really nice, like, Yeti mugs, some really good jackets. Because I keep it for a month. If you didn't, and then well, my, bet, my favorite was is they leave their textbooks there. And then I'd go and cash it in for $80. <laughs> the book, they, don't, they don't know where you got it from. Sorry, you lose. And like I said, it's a place where you're seen, where you can't hide. And it was just such a gift, and I know there are other campus ministries like that. It's ultimately a place where you belong, but it takes a lot of work. Oh, it takes a lot of work. Of not giving up, of trying to put events, of always paying attention, of trying to be intentional, but yet allowing the organic dimension of it to rise up. As a community, as a family, I, this is where, for me, as I said last night, in my own life, the transformation began to happen. I realized that if this is a big family, that I'm dad. I'm the spiritual father. I'd really come to grow in love for these young people as my own children. I got to know them, but they got to know me. I know they can tell, like, Father, you need a nap. Father, you need some endorphins. Go run. They saw me in my good days and my bad days in a way like most parishioners do not experience their priest. And so Father makes a little mistake, I'm done with him. But over here, Father made a mistake, yeah, whatever, he's having a bad day. I still love him. And that's a genuine gift for my priesthood. And stemming from this, though, what also happened, and we're going to get to the real heart of what I wanted to talk about today, is it impacts your vision of the church. You don't have a generation of young people coming through a campus ministry like that who see the church as an institution, as a place to go for an hour on Sunday. But as a home. The church was our mother. The community was a family that brings order to chaos, where they belonged. And it was an experience of what I think church ought to be and most parishes should strive to be like. More of a home than an institution, a community, where traditions were loved. Oh, trust me, today's young generation, you may think a lot of them are liberal, but oh, they love the mass, and they love the smells, and they love the bells. They love that ardor and the tradition. And, and, and being orthodox is easy. I never had a problem convincing people of these things that maybe in the 70s and 80s college students adhered to when there wasn't good formation. I got no problem. I wanted to be Catholic and to live it to the full. But ultimately, time comes to an end. 
and graduation would come, and each semester we'd have our big baccalaureate mass, where the students who were involved in the ministry would come, and we would celebrate their graduation right before um, the graduation the next the next day. And often, and they would take each class, they would take a collection, they would take pledges to give back to the student center. And some of these classes pledged as much over the course of four years, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. They gave back. They were very, very generous because they knew what they had received. And from that, as I said, many long-lasting friendships. Got together with someone who just had their 30th birthday party, and people came in from all over still maintaining friendships, and I was blessed to be a part of it. And the struggle that a lot of them find, though, and this is the crucial point, is when they leave, they go back to the parishes that are dead. There's no community. Partially because maybe they're too young and there are not a lot of young adults where they are, but it seems like nobody wants to get involved. They don't want to be a part of it. And so often they've got to do their own thing. And so I was really, really proud of a number of them, in particular one young man named Alex Frederick. He was a fraternity boy, and he realized in Lafayette, where's the community? Where are the young adults? They all come from wisdom. You can't hang out there all the time. And so he started a group called Y'all, the Young Adults of Lafayette, Louisiana. Going for about four years strong, hundreds of young adults gathering, big events, going out bowling, having a few drinks, Bible studies, formation, taking initiative, a leader, to be able to form community. Because if the parishes aren't going to be community, then we've got to make it ourselves. I don't care if it's a small group or a big group. We need a sense of belonging. And so what I really now, after being gone for a year and a half for ministry and getting there uh, 13 years ago, Realize that the success of a Catholic campus ministry is not how many pizzas you serve, not how many people go on retreats, but who's still practicing the faith five years, ten years out of college. The people who are living that lifelong mission, spreading their faith, community, family, and parish, whose lives have been transformed, and they're still living their faith even after they've left. Particularly, as we're going to see tomorrow, finding their vocation. And, and I want to be able to highlight two of them. One of them is our good friend Annie. Annie Ducote, I love this, is a picture of her, which perfectly represents her personality in about 2011. We're at World Youth Day, and we're crammed on the subway with a bunch of Spaniards chanting back and forth with the Germans. So loud and obnoxious. Annie wasn't the biggest fan of people. She just wasn't. But she was involved and over the years went on to get a master's degree and find some healing and some integration. And there has been a transformation. Now she is, in her early 30s, she works as communication director and minister at UL and now loves people. Her office is totally filled with people all the time. She knows what it means to belong. She loves her people, and they love her. Continuously giving back. See, I experience this every day for 11 years. This is why I have hope. I can only pick a few stories to be able to tell you, but I wanted to in a special way tonight. I can tell you the stories of 
about this and showing you pictures, but I had a special treatment. Someone got voluntold this morning, uh, who was a student at UL, and I remember meeting this young woman very distinctly. I'll never forget that internet first interaction, who got super involved at UL. And she was here last night, so today when I was talking my talk, I said, hey, Caitlin, would you be willing to come and maybe give your testimony? Caitlin is a seamstress, she is not a public speaker, but she said she would. So, what I'd like to have Caitlin come forward, Caitlin Daly right there, let's give her a hand and embarrass her. She was someone who, a little shy, but got super involved in the ministry, and uh, we'll let her tell her story. I have no idea what she's going to say. She might be better with me. Um, so yeah, in, in high school and at the start of college, I was definitely the wallflower. Uh, and there was more than one occasion where Father Sibley had to pull me off that wall himself. So me standing up here right now is a testament to how amazing he is. Um, but I guess I'll start by saying I was an architecture major in college. Um, I spent a lot of my time in the architecture building, and so I met uh, my freshman year, and so I met it. I missed, wow. Uh, I missed all the freshman orientation and get-to-know-you events, and by the time sophomore year rolled around, my grades were great, but my social life was, well, lacking. Uh, I was complaining to my mom on the phone one day that I had very few friends, and immediately she pulled up the Catholic Student Center and found me in the counter retreat, and um, signed me up. Well, needless to say, my little introverted heart was terrified. <laughs> she paid for me. Uh, she bribed me to go, and by the end of it, uh, at the end of the camp, a girl stood up on stage and said that Wisdom was putting on a play that year and needed help. I went up to her and said, I can't act, but I can make costumes so I can help the sets. After the first practice, they headed to the cafeteria and they asked if I wanted to join. Dinner with them became a routine. We all showed up around the same time and we could find a table. If anyone showed up late, we'd all scoot in and make room. Our motto became, we can always fit one more. Um, our record was 14 people around the table meant to be four. We're very proud of that. Uh, dinner turned into board games, movie nights, school clubs, etc. Eventually, we set up a group chat and we actually named it. We could fit one more. We used to we used it for anything from game night scheduling to prayer requests. I most often used it when there was an event I wanted to go to that needed an emotional support extrovert to go with me. By the end of my college career, that chat was 32 people. We were four times bigger than my high school group. Um, but that group gave me a reason to show up to Raging Kids and Catholic events because I always knew that I would have a friend with me. Wisdom also had a large room called Jean Bart Hall, often used for speakers and gatherings. But when it wasn't in use, there were a few tables in the corner, uh, and you could bet money that at least one of my friends, when we could fit one more, was uh, there at all hours of the day. We'd finish class, head straight to John Mark, and we'd spend hours there doing homework until dinner, and we'd go to the calf and try and beat our seat record. Sometimes we'd head back to John Mark. We were off in the group that he was kicking out at 10, 10 p.m. <laughs> uh, John Mark became one of my favorite areas on campus. Uh, the best part was it was right next to the church in the Adoration Chapel, so if we got overwhelmed by our homework, we could step away and talk to Jesus. Tuesday and Thursday, 5 p.m. Mass was one of the best ways to procrastinate on schoolwork. Jean-Marc was a home away from home, 
and I was more comfortable there than I was in my apartment. I had a ping pong table, a, a, a piano, and we spent hours in there together. Uh, two of my friends from the We Can Fit One More group started dating and got married at Wisdom. By the, uh, they used John Mark for their reception because it meant so much to them. Um, anyone, anytime anyone asks me uh, if I like college, I don't think about the classes or the football games or anything like that. I think about my days in Wisdoms and the friends I made there. Yeah, it's really been such a gift for me to get to know Caitlin over the years. Uh, I think I've done a number of her friends' weddings. One day, God willing, I'll do hers. She just came back from the Disney program. Um, anybody ever needs like costumes for Mardi Gras balls or anything? This young woman is unbelievably talented. So, so proud of her and the woman that she's become. So, look, she talked about everything I mentioned and I didn't even tell her. So it, it was really, really great. So, so as I said last night, I wanted to end on some practical things. Granted, today was some pictures, not as many funny stories as yesterday, but you got a lot more, you got a 4D presentation today, having Caitlin talk. That need to belong. What can older generations, parents or grandparents, do to foster this? I think be willing to be a mentor. You know, uh, we, we, we need more older people to mentor younger people, to walk with them, disciple them. I don't know if there's a mentor program here where the young people, particularly young families, can learn from mothers and fathers. Invest. Become friends. Do it with your kids. I said it yesterday. Learn to become friends with your children or your grandchildren. Take them out. Let's go to dinner. I want to hear about you. I want to hang out. I want to figure out what your life is like. In your own self, in your own life, number three, model good friendships. Learn. If you have good friendships, trust me, the young adults are watching you. Oh, look. Mom and dad know how to hang out. Be cool. They have friends. They're not weird. Number four, be welcoming to the community, in your parish, in your home. Even the people that might be a little bit different, let them feel welcome. And I think I put it create homes, whether it be at your house, whether it be the parish, whether it be in your small group, what are we doing to help people feel like they belong? And so as I close yesterday, I'll close the same way today. The significant impact it had on me, that sense of belonging. Granted, I've already showed you how like learning to see with the father's eyes helped me become a father. But, you know, being able to to, to leave wisdom, I remember they had this big, we had a lot of parties. I like to party, even though I'm an introvert. Um, invited all the graduates from my 11 years there. And there were hundreds of kids there, most of them married with their own kids, all of them adults with their own lives. And it was just the best mass. And we had this wonderful party and we visited for hours and hours and hours. And there's a picture, I just don't know where it is. Um, but it was just such a gift to be able to be part of that family. And then going back to celebrate birthdays, ordinations, weddings. And now the truth is, as I said last night, besides my friends, a lot of the older students, like Annie, like Caitlin, are, are very close friends of mine. 
we do a lot together. But the moment for me that really changed was last year. Some of you may know, my mom had been sick for a number of years and she passed away last September. And so I kind of had to arrange everything for the funeral because my dad had been sick with COVID. Unfortunately, had a lot of help from former parishioners and friends. And and I was was there preaching. A lot of seminarians were there, priest friends of mine. But it was filled with former students. Many of them had graduated a few years ago. Some were still in college there. And so touched to see so many there. I began to think, all right, well, my mom's gone. Um, my dad is 85. He won't be around much longer. We're not very super close to other members of the family. And that sort of depressing feeling that I think a lot of the times priests have because we outlive everybody. That's, you're going to be kind of alone. But then I realized I really won't be. All those students are my family. They're really my kids. They love me like a father. And so, yes, it's going to be nice. Hopefully some of them are going to have nice beach houses for me to be able to retire at. (laughs) But it's more than that. It was the love and the support uh, of those young people that really, as I said, keep my heart young uh, and have helped me to really learn how to love the seminarians. It's a little different there. But still, I'm hanging out with young people all the time. So... It'd be the older priest. When I'm an old priest, maybe the young priest will be nice to me, like the, the young priests are nice to Father Joe. So it really is the gift that keeps on giving, and giving me not only that sense of fatherhood, but that sense of belonging. Anytime I go back to Lafayette, everybody wants to visit. Anytime they come to Memorial, they want to visit. I get some pretty good meals, but it really is a gift. And so what... I'm so proud of them, and I'm so very grateful for that sense of belonging uh, and that family that I have been introduced to. So tomorrow will be our last night, and I think tomorrow will be the one that is potentially the most interesting, and is that to be chosen. What does it mean to be chosen by others? Particularly, what does it mean to be chosen by God? How do we come to hear God's voice? How do young people encounter Call of the Lord, and then after they leave college, what does life look like, and how does that mission, that vocation, how is it lived out? And so, why don't we go ahead, close in just like an hour, just like last night, uh, with a glory be, knowing, if I'm correct, tomorrow after the talk, we're going to have a little reception out there. Um, Let's close with glory be. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit was the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. May God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.